Let's uh, look at the text today from 1 John 2, 3 to 4. John says, In this we know that we have come to know him, if we obey his commands. So anyone who says, I have come to know him, while disobeying his commands, is a liar. And the truth is not in such a one. Well, to start, I mean, if you're just reading that, just taking it at face value, then there has to be some kind of connection between knowing God and what? Obeying his commands, right? I mean, that's, that's kind of the, it's right there. Any, any person who claims, oh yeah, I know God, well, that person is the kind of person who, whatever it is, obeys God's commands. And so, whatever we say about it, we're going to have to say that knowing God and obeying his commands are somehow connected. But then that brings up a second question, right? What are God's commands? Uh, oof. I mean, it depends on where you open it. If you, like, if you assume that the Bible has those commands, which we do here, and you just open it up randomly, you can find all kinds of stuff, right? You could go, and then there's the Old Testament where there's things like the Ten Commandments. And that, that, that seems like some pretty good stuff. Maybe that's what God's commands are. But then you read a little further, you get past Exodus, you start jumping into Leviticus, and you're like, whoa, God's commands are getting really weird. Oh, I, I, okay, I, there's the one about um, God commands the Israelites not to uh, cook a baby goat in its mother's milk. And you're like, oh, good news, we don't usually do that, so we're probably not in violation. Uh, but, but that seems really weird. Is that God's commands? Right? And then you, get in, uh, you go farther, and then you get to the Proverbs, right? And the Proverbs are kind of like common sense. Like, here's some stuff that you ought to do to, to sort of have like a good life. Well, is that what God's commands are? You go even further. You get to the prophets, and the prophets are telling you things about, oh, you've completely messed it up. You thought it was this. It's actually this. This is what God commands you. And then things get even crazier. Jesus comes on the scene, and Jesus comes and overturns all kinds of stuff. And he has a whole bunch of commands. If you know the Sermon on the Mount, he, he tells you to turn the other cheek, says things like that. He says, that, you know, take the, the log out of your own eye before getting the speck out of your friend's eye. What are God's commands? Because presumably we've got to do something about God's commands if we're going to say we know. Well, good news for everyone, John actually defines them for us in the next chapter. So I'm just going to throw that up. John, John says this. He says, uh, he says, this is his God's command. We believe in the name of his son, Jesus Christ, and love each other as he commanded us. These are the commands that God gives. Now we're going to talk a little bit. I'm so glad uh, some of the, of the songs today we were talking about the name of Jesus. The name. We're going to talk about that in a little bit because it's an, actually an interesting formulation saying the name of his son Jesus Christ rather than just believing in Jesus Christ which is something different. So we can, we can say this. Whatever it is to know God. The person who says I know God. I have come to know God at some point in my life. I have come to know God. That person has to be the kind of person who does these things believes in the name of Jesus, his, of, of his son, Jesus Christ, and who loves each other, loves probably the people in the church, and maybe even beyond that, right? Well, I thought I would come up with a couple of possibilities of what this might mean. Then when we say we know God, things that we kind of think intuitively, what we, we might mean, what are, what are, and, and I'm going to suggest that these are basically misconceptions, that when we actually use the language of knowing God, for the most part, we're just kind of a little bit off the rails. And so uh, the, probably the, one of the most important ones that people might come up with at the very beginning is that knowing God, we might assume, equals something like going to heaven or being saved, right? So it's like if you know God, then you're, uh, then you're 
then you're, you're saved. You're, you're going to heaven. If, if a, a person who knows God, maybe it's like you're familiar with God, and so that when you get to heaven, you're knocking on the gate, God looks, he's like, oh, yep, know you, come on in. And that's maybe what we mean by know God, right? Well, I have a, there's a couple problems with that. Um, and, the, and the first problem is that uh, if, if that's the case, then John uh, is contradicting himself. Um, if knowing God is the same thing as believing in Jesus, then he's actually contradicting, contradicting himself because not only did he write 1 John, he also wrote the Gospel of John where he relates the words of Jesus. And listen to what Jesus says in the Gospel of John. He says, Most assuredly, I say to you, he who believes in me has everlasting life. He who believes in the Son has everlasting life. He who does not believe in the Son shall not see life, but the wrath of God abides on him. Did you see the part there about um, loving each other? No, because it's not there, and it's not anywhere near it. Um, and, and, and did you notice? Did you notice the change in the language there? Believes in me, not believes in the name. There's an interesting change there, and we'll talk about it later. I'll, I'll draw that out a little bit. But there is something fundamentally different about believing in Jesus and believing in the name of the Son, Jesus Christ. And so when you're talking about just getting to heaven, being saved, having eternal life, everlasting life, it's really simple. You just believe in Jesus, and that's it. There are no conditions. There are no, you've got to do that and this, and then this will happen. It's just a simple expression of trust. And at that moment, God gives us eternal life. So when John talks about knowing God, that's not what he means. Well, maybe he means something different. Maybe um, instead what John is talking about is he's, he's saying that, that knowing God is the same thing as having an intimate relationship with God. An intimate relationship with God. This is, uh, this is um, Doug and I uh, joke about this sometimes because here's the deal. A lot of you, a lot of you um, uh, and, and myself as well, and Doug as well, uh, we, we like the songs um, that we sing that are about, you know, how close and loving Jesus is and how much we want to give him a hug. Did you notice that today we were singing about being embraced by Jesus? And some people are like, uh, that's a little weird, isn't it? Like, it, it's a little strange. Sometimes our, our, our music um, really kind of emphasizes this notion that what, um, what knowing God is really about is being really intimate and, and loving. And there's like this, this, well, let's be honest. We almost talk about it in the same way that we talk about whispering to our lovers. <laughs> and it's a little bit strange, kind of, sometimes, when we, when we think about God in those ways. For some people, it's very natural. It's very okay. And I'm not going to knock it at all. Um, I think that a lot of people really benefit from having a deep and intimate connection with God. But that's not for everyone. And what's really interesting is if you go through the Bible and you look for all the places where it talks about having a, quote, relationship with God, you're going to come up with zero places. At no place in the entire Bible does it talk about having a relationship with God. That doesn't mean that we don't have relationships with God. We should. We do. I mean, there is that kind of, you know, God is our God and, and we're, you know, his people, but I want to suggest that more, look, it also talks about being married to, to Christ. I, I agree with that. And for those of you who have a very intimate, loving connection with Jesus, go for it. That's a beautiful thing. It's passionate. But you don't have to. And more importantly, it's not what John means when he says knowing God. Here's a couple of people. Here's a couple of a, a pair of couples. Okay? A pair of couples. Okay. One of these couples has an intimate relationship. The other couple has a master and obedience relationship. Which is which? I'm hoping, I'm hoping the intimate relationship's on the left. 
and the master and master servant relationships on the right. Uh, and and there's there, there's a, a point to be made there. Um, think about the intimate relationships you have in your life. Are they relationships of command? Uh, <laughs> I've tried I've tried commanding the people that I have intimate relationships with. They get mad at me. They're like, no, that's and really intimate relationships are different. You, you woo people, right? You persuade, you draw them along when you're intimate with somebody. It's a very different thing from commanding obedience. And yet when John just told us what knowing God is, he said it's obeying his commands. That whatever the relationship is, it's not, um, Ooh, I love you. I mean, there's that. But that's not, that's not what knowing God is. That's what, not what John's talking about when he says knowing God. Because we know that whatever we say about knowing God, it has to involve, it must involve an explanation for why that results in the kind of person who obeys his commands. Well, maybe. Maybe. Knowing God is a little more intellectual. Maybe knowing God means knowing a lot of important facts about God. Facts. Facts are important. Facts are good. I like facts. I'm a big fan of facts. I, I'm a nerd, so I, 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 dig, I dig facts. Interesting thing, though, about facts. You can know a lot of stuff, and it may not change your life at all. Right? You might know all kinds of amazing things about somebody. It doesn't mean that you obey them. Right? Uh, if you're familiar with uh, the book of James, James says this. He's, he's counseling Christians, and he says, he says um, hey, you believe there's one God. You know that you know, in the pagan world there's like millions and millions of gods. And he's like, you know there's only one. Good for you. You do well. But hey, even the demons know that, and they're scared about it. Right? They know some important stuff about God. They're very familiar with what, God, what of God is about. Right? But that doesn't mean that they obey him. That doesn't mean that they know him. It means that they have some really cool ideas about God, and they probably are pretty upset about him. I mean, that whole and trembling thing. They're worried because they know who God is, and God might come down and, and crush them, and probably will at some point, and so it scares them. And so whatever we say about knowing God, we can't just reduce it to knowing some important stuff about God. And that is such a danger. It's so easy for us to think that really what it's about here, we come to church, we're going to learn some cool facts, learn some neat stuff, um, and, and then we're going to go and, and we can go back to our regular lives. Well, that, you know, that, that is that's one thing that can happen at church, but that's not what church is about. That's not what knowing God is about. It's not why you came. You might have thought you came to learn some facts, but there's more to it than that. There's more. Well, the last um, possibility is that maybe knowing God is just strict obedience, right? Maybe knowing God is just strict obedience to his commands. And that would make sense of John's uh, language, right? He says, well, if you say that you've come to know God, then you obey his commands. And so maybe that's all it is. Maybe we just figure out what God wants, and then we just execute, just do it. And that's what knowing God entails, if you've read the New Testament, you know that Jesus' like, biggest enemies are the Pharisees. The Pharisees are really, really good at obeying God. In fact, they obey him so well that they take all the commands that he gives and they expand on them. 
They go even further than, than, than the law tells them to go because they're so interested in strictly obeying God because they believe that that's what it takes to know God. At one point, Jesus is looking at the Pharisees and he's like, you th- guys, guys, you're completely missing it. You're absolutely off track. In fact, he quotes Hosea 6.6, 6, uh, which is up here. He, he's like, he, he says, uh, Hosea says, for I desire, if you go and learn what this means, Jesus says, for I desire mercy, covenant faithfulness, and not sacrifice. And listen to this. And the knowledge of God more than burnt offerings. Think about that. I want you to know me more than just obey me. I want you to have knowledge of me, not just obedience of me. There's a difference, a separation between knowing God and obeying him. Those are different things. Now it's true what John says, the person who knows God does in fact end up obeying his commands, but it's not, it's not the same thing. It's not like you suddenly have known God because you do everything he tells you to do. In, in the same way that, you know, I, for a long time growing up, my dad made me do a lot of stuff. Every Saturday morning, I, I, I share this from time to time just to talk about how terrible my, my childhood was. Um, and God bless him, he's not here. He's passing a kidney stone. Please pray for him. Um, and so since he's not here, we can just take some shots. Uh, you know, so, so, so on Saturday morning, I woke up. And back then, we didn't have Netflix, so you had to watch cartoons like at a special time, which is mind-boggling. I don't know how my parents raised me. Um, so I did. I got my, like, two hours, you know, 8 to 10 or whatever. At some point, my dad would come downstairs, and that's when misery began. He would, he'd come downstairs, like, lugging the, the vacuum, have uh, rags and, and dusting equipment, a rake, um, the, uh, the equipment to pick up the dog poop. I mean, it was like, and I'm an only child, so it wasn't like we were sharing the, the burden here. No, this was, was all right here. And so for the next, you know, six to 12 hours, I was, <laughs> I was slaving away. And you can just imagine him, like, sort of sitting back, reading the newspaper, looking like, you missed a spot. That's pretty much how it was. I kid, but not too much. I did everything I was told. Is it because I knew my father? No. It's because I didn't want to get grounded. Because I was afraid of him. And he had a lot of power. And so I did not know my dad at all. In fact, it took a long time before I even began to understand why he told me to do that stuff. It took me a long time to understand. Honestly, the best part of going to college, really, no, getting a job in high school, was that getting a job in high school meant that I didn't have to do that, and I got paid. It was like, this is awesome. I really, really like this. And then going to college, it's like, you don't have to do anything. You don't want to do laundry, you don't want to clean your room, fine, who cares? No one's going to stop you, right? It was just a different, different mentality. It took a long time for me to look back and realize that the obedience to my dad's commands had nothing to do with who he was. In fact, knowing him meant learning something about his commands and what they were, what they meant, what was behind them. And so strict obedience and and knowing God, not the same thing at all. Not the same thing at all. Now, I'm hoping that the video is ready. Because I was trying to come up with a cool way to explain what knowing God is like. And and I, I, I found this on YouTube. So...
1989, am I right? I mean, wow. I mean, 1989, what? Bo Jackson? Does anyone know Bo Jackson? Doug does. Yeah, a couple of you. Bo Jackson, uh, fantastic athlete, um, injured early in his career, so he didn't fulfill his uh, potential. But in the 1989 to 1990 season, he was the first major um, player in the modern era to uh, be on two pro pro teams in two different sports at the same time. He was a a running back for the Raiders, and he was also um, a a baseball player for the, the Royals. And so he literally played two sports in one year. Um, and so for a very short time, Bo was like the, the coolest guy ever. So cool that even someone who's basically uninterested in sports like myself knew who he was. And so if you said Bo knows, I was like, oh yeah, Bo knows. Bo knows for sure. In fact, the cool part about that, the, I mean, the best moment is when Wayne Gretzky's like, no, absolutely not. And it's, isn't it cool though? I mean, so he's, so f- we know that he Bo knows baseball. We know that he knows football. Um, and then we find out he knows basketball, right? Michael Jordan tells us. We fi- and then there, there's a moment, I don't know if you heard it, but I think it's John McEnroe is like, Bo knows tennis? <laughs> like, does he really? <laughs> Surprise. Um, the, when we say that Bo knows baseball, Bo knows football, what do we mean? We mean that Bo Jackson, from the time he was very young, um, began to be uh, involved in, in football and in baseball. And the first time he got up to the plate, you know, he didn't stroke a homer. Well, maybe he did. But the second time, you know, that curveball came, he swing and a miss, he made mistakes, right? He wasn't perfect at it. And over time, over time, he, he trial and error and being coached, he got better and better and better at the game of baseball to the point where he became a master of the game. So good, in fact, that he was able, you know, most baseball players take the offseason to, like, improve. Bo took the offseason to take hits while running for the Raiders. Bo knows football so well that he doesn't need to train (laughs) during the spring because he's playing with the Royals. And and isn't it interesting? So when, when, when Gretzky, when Gretzky has that moment, he's like, nope. The whole point, we look at him, we're like, look, Bo does a lot of stuff. But one thing he probably hasn't done a lot of is, you know, skating and, and taking slap shots. You know, that's not something Bo probably knows. And another interesting thing. So Bo knows football. Well, I, I, uh, I know a little bit about football because I was, um, I, I was part of a fantasy football league for a couple of years. Um, yeah, and don't laugh, okay? I won, all right? I'm good at this. See, the cool thing about fantasy sports is that you don't have to be like good at anything, so all you have to do is like learn stuff. And I'm like, ooh, learning, that's something I'm good at. So I, I, I dominated the league two years in a row, was not invited back for a third year, interestingly. Um, and so if I came up to Bo Jackson, I was like, you know football? No, Bo, I know football. Bo Jackson would like slap me, and I would fly across to me, because he's a tough dude. He knows weights too, you saw that. Well, what's the difference, right? Well, the difference is that I haven't actually suited up and been on the gridiron. I've read a lot of articles on ESPN or whatever about this, you know, this star or that star and what this person does and that person does, but I've never sat there and seen some 300-pound dude come up to me at full speed and knock me on my back. I have never followed a block and just barely been hit, uh, and barely missed being hit as I scamper to the end zone. I've never tried to do the 40. I've never done those things. Is that, do they really do that with the tires? They run through the, what does that do? I mean, it looks cool, but I don't know. I don't know what it's for. I've never done that stuff. And so I don't know football. I don't know baseball. And and I think if we really want to get to the heart 
of what John's thinking, I think we need to, re- to change the metaphor a little bit. We need to stop thinking about knowing uh, a person, but al- almost knowing kind of an activity or a practice. Um, and, and there's a reason for that. The, the reason is that God is alive. We even sang about that this morning. God is living and he's active. He's moving. And he's, he's everywhere and he's doing things. And, and to know him it, it involves being involved with that and being a part of that and seeing how that works and being familiar with it and engaged with it over time. Um, Jeremiah 10.10 10 says, But the Lord is the true God. He is the living God and the everlasting King. At his wrath, the earth will tremble and the nations will not be able to endure his indignation. God is alive. He's powerful. He's the, over, he's the king over all the world. When he, when he sneezes, it's like the big one. The earth trembles and quakes. Nations and people cannot stand up against him. Knowing God isn't like, oh, yeah, um, we met. I've shook chicken in your hand. Cool. Knowing God isn't like assembling a whole you know, catalog of facts about this being out there. No, knowing God is, is not that at all. Knowing God is being involved with God over time. Experiencing God over time. Uh, the, the last thing in, in your note sheets says, we know God the same way Bo knows football. Through time-tested experience of trusting him in everything and loving his people. We know God the same way Bo knows football. Through time-tested experience of trusting him in everything and loving his people. I said we were going to um, take a look again at that, that name of the son um, the name. It's an, interesting, uh, it's an interesting thing that John adds when he talks about the commands of God. He says, he says uh, uh, believe in the name of his son, Jesus Christ, and love each other. Well, in the ancient world, um, when you said that you believed, if I said, I believe in, so you're familiar with Caesar Augustus. I think he was the one who came after Julius Caesar. Um, he was, I think he was king, he was Caesar when Jesus was born, so he's around that time. If I say was Octavius was his name, and then he became Augustus. Say I'm Octavius' friend, or Augustus' friend. And I say, oh, I know Augustus. Well, what that would mean is it would mean like, oh, I trust him. Yeah, I mean, he's, I, I know that guy. Yeah. It's like I say, oh, well, I know Augustus. He'll do what he says. That means, yeah, I, I trust him. I get it. Sure. Um, he's a trustworthy guy. You can, you can depend on Augustus. That's great. If I said, I believe in the name of Caesar Augustus, what that means is, I believe that he has the entire power of the empire at his command. I believe that he is the face of Rome, that he runs the show, and then what he says goes. The name, when you add that in, in, in Greek, it's an idiom, when you add it, it means that this person represents something, and that's what you trust in, the thing that they represent. So when John says, believe in the name of, Jesus, of his son, Jesus Christ, for those of you who thought that Christ was Jesus' last name, it's not. He, if you send letter, a letter to Jesus, you don't say, Mr. Jesus Christ, uh, Bethlehem, or Nazareth. What? No, uh, Christ is Messiah. It's anointed one. It's the one chosen by God. In fact, when you're reading the New Testament and you see the word Christ, it, it might be good just to think Messiah, anointed one, representative of God. 
When, when, when John says the command of God is to believe in his son, Jesus the Messiah, it is believe that this one has all the power of God, all the lordship, all the glory, all the majesty, all the power. That when you say, I believe in the name of Jesus, you are saying, I believe that he is ultimate, he is powerful, he is unstoppable, he is implacable, he is everything that needs, that I need, and that anyone needs. He forgives sins, and yes, he also superintends all of the things that go on in our lives. When we say Jesus is Lord, we mean he's the king of this world, this life. If that doesn't strike you as radical... You're not paying attention. When you leave this place, the moment you walk out this door, you're going to take a step out of this church. You are entering into a world where people trust in what? Management skill, cause and effect, physics, um, hard work, individualism, the power of a community of people or a collective, um, You could go on and on and on to talk about the things that people outside these walls trust in, believe in. If you want to be successful, here's the deal. JFK, um, I saw a movie about this, crazy. JFK was like, we're going to go to the moon in 10 years. He, He said that to America. Some of you were alive. I can't believe that. And Americans were like, well, yeah, let's do it. And then Americans did it. That was awesome. Here's what happened. So JFK goes... Ten years, we're going to the moon. And all the guys at NASA were like, let's start praying. <laughs> okay, they probably actually did. Um, but they also did something else. They did, like, you know, math, some engineering, some uh, chemical engineering, and propulsion of rockets and orbits and all kinds of things. They had to figure out a lot of stuff. And so they actually did the kinds of things that we trust in when we talk about what we do with our lives, right? We trust in hard work and, and putting the time in and, and me- you know, having a good plan, following through, having great leadership, all of those things. That's what people trust in. And it works. I mean, we landed on the moon. Honestly, that, I don't want to get off onto it, but man, it bugs me that we, it was like, I wasn't even alive when the last time we were on the moon. We need to go back to the moon. The moon is awesome. It's neither here nor there. The point is, is that <laughs> you guys don't want to go to the moon? Fine, you don't have to. I'll go. The, 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 point, the point is is that, is that that works, right? It works when you put in the effort and the time. And yet what John says is something truly radical. He says instead of trusting in all of that stuff, or perhaps in addition to, or perhaps, perhaps underneath all of that stuff, you must trust in the name of the Son, Jesus the Messiah. You got to believe that he's the one who rules. He is the one who makes things happen. He is the one who brings all power and all glory and all forgiveness. He is the one whose majesty runs this show. And what that means, especially for guys, is that you think you've done a really great job. But what you're actually supposed to be doing is changing your mind and submitting and saying, even though I put in the hard work, and even though I did the planning, and even though I did all those things, that really, at the end of the day, it was God, through Christ, in the power of the Spirit, that made this thing grow. That made this thing a success. That makes us have hope. This is an utterly countercultural, utterly radical way of thinking. To be able to do this is to change your mind in everything that you do, where it's not just horses and chariots, but the name of the Lord our God. 
Who is the one who brings victory and success and vision and power? If we can do that, though, if we can do that, then we might start to know God. Imagine, imagine what it would be like if people started to do this. Instead, instead, of, instead of figuring it out all on our, all our own, we submitted and said, God, I am going to put the time in. I'm going to plant and water. I'm going to do all those things. But what I'm also going to do, what I'm also going to do is submit to you and say, whatever happens, I'm going to believe that it's from you. Good, bad, I'm not going to put any conditions on what you're going to do as, as I'm you know, going through this part of my life and doing this thing. I'm not going to say that it has to be this or it has to be that. Whatever it is, I am going to trust that you're a part of it and that you're engaged with me as I'm going through it and that you're changing my life as I'm doing it. Imagine we started living like that. Imagine what you, how you would think differently about the whole universe, about every little part of your life. You would see it not just as cause and effect, but instead you would see it as God being involved, engaged. And then I think you would probably want to be with others who felt the same way, who thought the same way, who, who, who acted the same way. You would find yourself in a church. You would find yourself loving those people who see the universe the same way you do. God involved, a part of it, active, living, alive. Not just us, not just this place, but all of heaven down with us by the power of the Spirit. And I think that if we did that, we might see some major changes. We, uh, we trust in experts. How's that working out for us? Whatever you, you know, left, right, middle of the political spectrum, we, uh, for the last, you know, 30 to 50 years have been run, this country has been run by people who are experts. They're really, really smart. They're in academia. I know a lot of these people. When I'm living in academia, I know academics. And man, academics are, they're brilliant. They've got it all. They're so smart. You can't believe it. And yet, with all of that, with all of those skills and all of those smarts and all of those, wh- what has happened? What has happened when the experts run things? Well, things go badly. And, and my guess, my guess, is that instead, what we should be doing is having faith. We should be trusting that God is a part of it. It's not just the numbers and the zeros and ones and the, and the math and the, and the science. That it's more than that. I look, and, and, and I know this is true. I know it's true because I've been in this church. I've grown up here with you all. And I have seen people here who, by the world standards, are not, you know, astrophysicists. And yet I look at their lives, and I see lives that are shaped and glorious. I see people who live well, peacefully, joyfully. People who serve and have, a, have the kind of life that everyone desires, everyone dreams about. And I see that the way that they live their life is not just planning and science and all that. They do that, yes. But they wait for God to give the increase. And they submit all to his name and his power. And they expect him to be the one who gives everything that's gotten. If you want to know God, take one thing in your life, just one, and say, I am not... You might hear this, let go and let God. No. Keep doing the science. Keep planning. Make plans. Execute them. It's all good stuff. Don't, you can't stop that. 
But in addition, add prayer. Add a confession that, God, I don't know what's coming, but I'm going to trust you to do it. God, I'm going to accept what happens, and I'm going to trust that you're doing it, and you're a part of it for my good. And I'm going to begin to see the world that way. For those of you who do know God, you're, the, you're sitting there and you're like, you know what? I kind of do that. I feel good about me knowing God today. Bless you. But there's something you need to do as well. You see, for most of us, um, when we engage with the world, we don't buy this. This is crazy talk. Okay, it makes sense here in su- on Sunday, but as soon as I leave, I mean, I, no, no thanks. I, I, what I need, people like me, what we need, is we need for those of you who know God to tell us. There's a thing called witness. It's where you give your story, your testimony, where you can say, I was here, and God brought me here, and it was surprising, and I didn't see it coming, and it was wild, and it was painful at times, and it was scary at times, but God brought me here, and I know that, and I can tell you it's true. You, you, your job, those of you who know God, is to tell the rest of us who are struggling that that's the case, to engage with us and commit and, 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 and testify to us that this is real, that if you start living this way, things will be well. Maybe not the way you thought they would be well, but well in the deepest, most beautiful and good sense of that. That, that if you can show us that, if you can testify to that, then it's going to be a little easier for people like me to believe and people like me to cast my faith and submit onto Christ. And last, the best place for that to happen is here. Do you see John said, he said, he said, those who believe in the name of the Son, Jesus the Messiah, and love each other, who are with the saints, Day in, day out. Caring, committed, compassionate. If we do that, then we'll know God the way Bo knows football. Let's pray. Gracious God and Father, we, we confess that, that the way we see the world is often skewed, it's distorted, we confess that we think that it's, it's just cause and effect, that there's, that there's no action, that there's no you a part of things, there's no spirit. God, we confess that and, and we repent. We ask for renewed vision of your spirit in our lives. Renewed trust in your son, Jesus the Messiah, who is Lord of all. Renewed conviction that you are living and active and alive in our midst that you forgive sins and, and you direct and guide. God, I pray that we will be people who start to know you deeply. God, for those here who do know you, I pray that, they're, that you will be on their lips, that they will share and witness and testify to what you've done and how you've been a part of their experience to give faith to those of us who have a hard time seeing it. And God, most of all, I pray that we love each other deeply and wholly that we as a church will know you and each other the way that you've called us to. All this we ask in Jesus' name, amen.